Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Wee. In today's episode, we're going to look at the years leading up to 1885. If you are familiar with this time period, you might know 1885 as the year of Louis Riel's execution. Louis Riel was hanged in 1885 for treason after his second attempt at rebellion. He was 41 years old. Riel was born near what is now Winnipeg in 1844. At that time, there were still buffalo roaming the prairies. Sadly, the buffalo were a problem for Western colonial expansion. The problem was that there was an abundance of buffalo, which meant that the people of the Great Plains had a stable economy, an economy dependent upon buffalo. The rebellion Riel led in 1869 when he was 25 years old was an important junction in the formation of Canada and the Canadian government's subsequent policies against Aboriginal people. It was an important junction in that the uprising was symbolic of the fight to maintain traditional Aboriginal ways of life on the Great Plains. The outcome of the uprising was a more hardline approach to Canadian governmental relations with Aboriginal people in general. Meanwhile, in the USA, the Americans were living in the post-Civil War era. That war had ended in 1865. Generals Sheridan and Sherman both considered the eradication of the buffalo as the critical line of attack. Why? Because the economy of the peoples of the Great Plains depended upon the millions of buffalo that migrated north and south across the continent now known as North America. What did people get from the buffalo? In a word, everything. Fur, sinew, meat, bones, and spirituality. The people of the plains relied on the abundance of the buffalo for everything from subsistence to clothing to religion. By exterminating all the buffalo, the American military endeavored to break the backbone of the indigenous economy of the Great Plains. Destroying the enemy's economy was a scorched earth policy that the Union had used against the Confederates during the Civil War. In 1864, General Philip Sheridan was in the Shenandoah Valley doing just that. It is known historically as the Burning. The Shenandoah Valley was a breadbasket for both armies, and it had been occupied by both sides of the war for the previous few years. Sheridan's burning of the valley was to be a final statement on the valley's productivity. It is important to know that the buffalo were not overhunted by Aboriginal people. The buffalo were extirpated by Americans to destroy the economy of the Aboriginals who depended upon the buffalo so that the westward expansion of the Americans could continue. It is also important to know that it wasn't just the military exterminating the buffalo. So-called hunters and sportsmen were encouraged to kill as many buffalo as possible. Businessmen could even go on escorted hunts with military officers. Within a single hunt, hundreds of buffalo might be killed, with only some of the meat, such as the tongues, being taken to eat. The rest of the carcasses were left to rot. In this way, just over a few decades, millions of buffalo dwindled to mere thousands, to the brink of extinction. The greatest destruction of the buffalo herds came after the American Civil War because the Americans could now focus their forces on fighting the Indians. Remember that Louis Riel was born in 1844. 
He grew up with the buffalo hunt as it had been traditionally, and he lived through the calculated destruction of the buffalo. In 1864, Chief Peguis, an Ojibwe leader near Lake Winnipeg, died of old age. Peguis had been a voice of reason between Ojibwe people, the Métis, and the nascent Canadian government. Louis Riel would have been 20 years old at that time. Across the continent, the deaths of many Aboriginal leaders in the 1860s further crushed any hope of a fully functioning traditional way of life. For instance, in the same year that Chief Peguis died, 1864, five Chilcotin chiefs were ambushed and hanged at a supposed peace conference. The Chilcotin people had been concerned with treatment of their people and of the land in what would eventually become central British Columbia. These were the years of the gold rush, and many people from around the world were heading north through Chilcotin territory. Two years prior to that hanging, in 1862, a large group of 38 Dakota warriors were hanged in what is now Minnesota. The Dakota had been suffering from forced relocations, war, and diminishing buffalo. The Dakota had signed treaties with America, which were already being broken by the Americans. The Dakota people were desperate and attacked settlers, whom they grew to see as enemies. To make a long story short, the American government had signed treaties to force the Dakotas into submission by restricting them to reserves and promising government food and supplies in return. Most, if not all Dakotas, then moved to the various reservations across Minnesota. But the food promised by the government was not given. Tensions escalated. Eventually, the Dakotas took recourse against broken treaty promises. Then, the American military retaliated against the Dakota uprising with a punitive expedition led by Henry Sibley. Incidentally, 1862 was also the year that the Gatling gun was invented. In 1867, Canada became Canada. To be more accurate, in the Maritimes, the landed colonizers decided to break away from their Commonwealth mother, Britain, to become independent. From there, the western expansion began in earnest. The train tracks were being built steadily, mile by mile, ever westward. In the winter of 1869, Riel and his Métis supporters seized Fort Garry. This was his first uprising. The French-speaking Métis were upset with British Canadians asserting dominion over the Red River area. Riel, the Métis, and the native people there wanted a locally elected government. In the new year of 1870, the Legislative Assembly of Assiniboia was formed with Riel as leader. The provisional government that Riel had set up functioned for a short time to pass laws. This was the same spring that Riel's government accused Thomas Scott of treason. Scott was quickly convicted and then executed by firing squad. A couple of months later, on May 12, 1870, Manitoba was officially admitted into the Canadian Confederation. A year later, in 1871, the first of the numbered treaties in Canada, Treaty No. 1, was signed at Lower Fort Garry. Fort Garry is now modern-day Winnipeg. For years there had been cooperation between natives and Europeans, but the culture clash was impacted by the destruction of the buffalo. 
and the destruction of the buffalo was encouraged by genocidal intentions and war. By the 1870s, the threat of buffalo extinction was already being seen and felt. Native signatories thought that peace by treaty would help against the buffalo destruction. They were wrong. There's a reason why the Ojibwe word for an American is Kichimokamon. It translates into long knife. That's all for today's podcast, but stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast. <laughs>